You ever sit in a moment and think, man, I just don't want this moment to be over, right? Like the day a baby's born or a wedding day when it's yours or a child or something or the Georgia game when it's just going really well and you think, just don't let this end. Like, don't let this end. I believe with all of my heart that one day, I, I don't know if I'll be able to stand or fall before the throne of God and will cry hallelujah a thousand times. And at the end of that, y'all, there's going to be time to cry a thousand times more. There's an old Ray Bolt song. I've talked about a lot of songs today. We didn't do this first two services. Y'all getting the unedited version of Danny's mind, right? But it says, um, was it, how's it go? You're the re- I thank you for giving to the Lord. I am here because you gave. And that song by the Gaithers, I bowed on my knees and cried holy. If you don't know it, it's beautiful. It's this guy that kind of sings about what heaven may look like and he sees all these saints and apostles, right? Sees these chuckers. And And the last one he says, I saw Timothy. And I can't sing like the guy with the cool hair that the Gaithers does, but... Remember, he says, I want to see Jesus, for he's the one. Like, one day, we're going to see Jesus face to face. I don't know how long the Lord's going to let us sit in that moment before we kind of get up and Jesus says, all right, let me start introducing you to some people. But I really think we're going to be able to see people and the scripture says we'll be known as we are known, right? I got a lot of people. Y'all got people that are going to be there? A lot. That right now, if we actually believe the Bible, which I actually believe it, are singing hallelujah to the Lord in this very moment with the angels and with the saints of old and with the prophets. And they're watching us. I don't know if they can see us. I don't know how that exactly works. I got some good ideas, but they know that we live in a broken world. Y'all, they know what's coming. Um, one of my good friends in high school's name was Shirley Burnett. Does anybody know Shirley Burnett? Shanti does. Anybody else? Carol Burnett. It's a different. It's a different sermon. Yes, her sister. I think um, there's a whole series about that. Yeah, that's just going to work that in a communion thought next week. It's going to be good. Um, Shirley Burnett um, was a lady that was um, in her 80s when she um, started attending our church. I was in high school. Um, and Shirley Burnett, the way our church got to meet her is our pastor, Joe Hester, um, was also a chaplain at University Hospital, bless your child, in Augusta, and um, was on a shift one day and walked past her room. And her husband was in the room passing away. Um, and he heard a clergyman according to my pastor Joe, just doing a terrible job of loving this woman in this moment. And she was broken, bad. So Joe said he let that clergyman finish his thing. And then Joe did what good preachers do. And he did a little loop and came back. And he said he started a conversation with this woman whose husband was passing away. She confessed Christ as Lord right there in that room, repented of her sins, trusted in Jesus. She came to church a couple weeks later after her husband had passed. 
And as a kid, it's one of the first times I remember as a kid, somebody, you know, as a kid, you're like, that's old, and they're 24. You're like, come on. And she was almost 80, and she was baptized. And a few weeks after that, she asked our youth pastor, as an almost 80-year-old, she said, I don't know what it is. And she'd never been in church before. She'd never done church. She said, I feel like I need to do something for the teenagers. Can I help out with the youth group? Without missing a beat, that youth pastor didn't say, no, you're almost 80, or no, we got a senior adult ministry, or quilting class, none of that stuff. This was a good person, Ms. Renee. And she said, no, no, no. What are you doing on Sunday nights at 8 o'clock without missing a beat? Ms. Shirley said, well, I'm usually home watching TV. She said, okay. I've got a group of high school students, high school boys, five or six of them, that are coming to youth group every, every Sunday night, and there's a lot of middle schoolers here, and they just want some time to be high school boys. Can they come to your house? And she said, yep. So for three years, don't tell the church this, church, anybody from home church if you're watching, I love Sunday night youth ministry. I love Sunday night church, but I really love going to Miss Shirley's house after service was over for a few reasons. First, she had a pool table, and that's just the gospel truth, right? And I wasn't very good at pool, but she had that pool table and her double wide on Clark's Hill Lake. And she had a refrigerator. Isn't it weird how you can still like remember? This was back in the 90s when there was these drinks that were coming out with lots of yellow number five called like Surge and Mellow Yellow and stuff. Parents were like, you can't drink that. Guess what Miss Shirley said? Yeah, you can, baby, in my house. So she had it stocked with like surge and stuff. We're like, this is great. We would go in and drink all of her fancy sodas and play pool. I don't remember her ever quoting scripture on us. But she would pray. And every time before we left, she would always say, man, I can't wait for y'all to come back next week. We would say, we can't either, Miss Shirley. For her, I don't think it was her 80th birthday, she went skydiving. We were just getting our learner's permits, right? This group of kids, I was one of the high school kids that got to go. I remember I had a learner's permit and pumped, and we said, hey, Miss Shirley, we got a learner's permit and driver's license this week. She said, I went skydiving, and we thought, who are you? You were the coolest person on the planet, and we watched the video of her skydiving and doing the whole thing. Absolutely wonderful. Why would I spend minutes of a sermon talking about a lady named Shirley Burnett that the only other person that knows her by name right now is my wife, Shante. Y'all, it's because when I took my wife home to meet my family and my grandparents, y'all remember that? If you're married, take them home to meet people. I was a small church kid. I was like, we've got to meet some of these church people. And we went to see Miss Moody and went by Miss Shirley Burnett's house. Because I wanted my wife to see some of the people that were so influential in my life. They weren't fancy. They didn't have seminary degrees. They just loved the Lord and wanted to serve Him. Something happens, y'all, when we are willing to see the task that is right in front of us and we say, yes, Lord, I will do what you're laying on my heart to do right now. I may be 80 or I may be, whatever your excuse is, uneducated, or I may be new to church, or I may be, I don't know, too young. Not when it comes to the Lord. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. We tell kids this, you know, when they're younger. And it's, I mean, it's the same fun things you think about with the, as adults, right? Like, 
If we're all a bunch of little feet running around as the body of Christ, we wouldn't smell anything, right? A bunch of hands, we wouldn't be able to see anything. God allows this diverse group of people to gather together and become the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. I read this from a pastor this last week that said there are some hands that only you were designed to hold. There are some people who will only cry on your shoulder. There's someone here, very likely in our room, who needed to hear you praising God out loud today. There's someone in this world this week who needs to hear about Jesus from you. There's someone likely here today, maybe even in our own congregation, that needs to be ministered to by you. We're made differently, bringing different talents, different backgrounds, all with the same purpose and focus. Let us remember this morning that God can accomplish the unimaginable. When we're a church mission statement, church motto, what are we about? We're gathering our community to make Jesus known. We want to know Jesus and make him known in our community and around the world. So a few things I've learned from, Jer- from Jeremiah. That would be fun. From Nehemiah chapter 3 um, today. First, the body of Christ is a diverse group of people unified and working together. The body of Christ is a diverse group of people unified and working together. Nehemiah was really good at saying phrases over and over again. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're just going to take a couple verses today from Nehemiah 3. But one of the phrases he says is in this chapter, next to him, next to him, next to him. Now, some people that may be newer to reading scripture, some people have read scripture for a long time, you might get to a long list of names and every now and then be tempted to go, and there's the rest of the story. Just kind of, kind of go through because there's some hard names in there, right? Well, in this text, Nehemiah is naming a bunch of folks and he's saying things like, well, next to this guy and then next to this guy and then next to this guy. He's painting a picture of what is happening in his world. He knew that he had a diverse group of people that were unified and working together. Y'all, we all have different backgrounds, different pasts, different experiences, different talents. But when we come together with the same purpose, same focus, which Paul describes as saying, forgetting what is behind, pressing on towards what is ahead, to win the prize, to get the goal, which is what? Jesus Christ, our Lord. When we're unified and working together, y'all, the unimaginable can happen. One thing about this is that we must note that the devil hates people that are unified with a common goal and a common focus. Whether it's a church body or a local congregation, whether it's a husband and wife, whether it's a family with kids, whether it's somebody you're hanging out with, your people group. When people get together and have that unified mind, I do believe it intimidates the devil himself. Second, leaders lead by serving. Leaders lead by serving. Nehemiah chapter three, verse one says, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate, consecrated it, set its doors, consecrated as far as the Tower of the Hundred and the Tower of the Hananel. It starts by saying these words, though. Then Eli- these are the first words. So what's, how, how do we get here? A few weeks ago, we, we read that Nehemiah had gotten word that the walls around Jerusalem had been destroyed. It was a sad place. Nehemiah had on his heart to go back and rebuild it. So he goes before the king. He says, hey, this is on my heart. The king gives him his blessing and even offers to pay for a lot of the construction. So Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. He shows up on the scene and he sees the walls that really are in ruins. And they make a plan to begin rebuilding the wall. One of the first verses that describe that talk about this guy Eliashib, who's the high priest. He's kind of a big deal in his town. He had a very important religious role. The New Testament says we have a great high priest who isn't Eliashev, it's Jesus himself, right? But in the Old Testament, this guy would walk in the room and everybody would acknowledge, whoa, his robe set him apart from me. 
But as a great leader, what's he doing? He's swinging a hammer and building a wall like everybody else. He's leading by serving. In Nehemiah 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. In Nehemiah 3, 12, it says, Next to him, Shalem, the son of Holahesh, the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, and his daughters. What's Nehemiah doing? I think he's painting a picture for us showing everyone is doing their part in rebuilding this wall, regardless of their status, where they came from, or what they thought they may have been capable of. He even mentions his daughters there, which is fun. Yesterday, I don't usually call my kids out by name, so I won't do that today. I'll just say my daughter. We're watching football, right? Watching football, having a great time. It's a good time. At some point, one of the commentators in one of the games made a comment about how large and strong one of the linebackers was. And my daughter, as sweet as she could, said, Dad, I think that guy's even bigger than you. That's cool. Why do you think that, Carrie, little girl? said, he's 376 pounds. I was like, how big do you think I am? You're just like, what are you doing to me, right? We didn't feed her dinner. Like, we were like, you're not, no, we fed her dinner. We fed her well. She had plenty of snacks. It was totally fine. It even mentions this guy, who's the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. Why would Nehemiah write this down? Yo, I think it's because he was painting a picture that the Lord had given him. The best leaders are willing to serve. The best leaders are willing to get their hands dirty and get in the mix with everybody else. At our church, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Who's the head? Who's in charge? Who's the lead? We have different people who are in different positions. Y'all, it's his church. It's Jesus' church, and we get to be here. We have different gifts. Some people would totally freak out if they had to speak on a stage. I would totally freak out if I had to do Lots of other things, mathematics or nursing or teaching or kids. There's so many other things that I'm not qualified, right? So what do we do when we get together? We get together and bring our gifts and talents as the body of believers and each share in our gifts and talents. When God looks at us, does he see some of us here and some of us here and some of us here? Not if we're confessing believers in Jesus. We're all in the same pool, bought by the blood of Christ. The best leaders that I have known in my life are leaders who are willing to serve. Our goal in this place a long ways removed from Nehemiah's days, although some things never change, will never to be to make the name of anyone known other than the name of Jesus. We exist to make Christ known. We exist to make Jesus known. I would encourage you today, if you're not serving, and so many in this group, y'all serve so well, begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what might you have in store for me to do on your behalf? All I got is a bunch of kids. Serve the kids. I'm just a first grade teacher. That's a mission field. Be willing to say, Lord, how can I make your name known? Leaders lead by serving. I think some of us have known leaders who didn't serve well, which is why Jesus says that no one else is to be the great example other than him. Jesus is better than me in every possible way. Jesus is better than you in every possible way. Which is why Jesus never says to be just like anybody else. He says, be like him. And what did Jesus do? Y'all, he led well. You notice that? New Testament, the most powerful people in his day were intimidated by him. Just by his presence in the room. And yet little kids could come up and play comfortably in his presence. Why? He was willing to meet people where they were. 
get down on everyone's level and share the good news of who he was. Let us be like Christ in that. Third, Nehemiah, I believe, knew that he needed to keep that main thing the main thing. So he had a lot of stuff going on. Again, it starts just in the first verse. There's so much in this. In the first verse, it says, Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers. What do they start? Right? They got a big wall around the city of Jerusalem. Where do they start? They start and they build the sheep gate. The sheep gate is what most of us probably think it is used for the sheep, which were used for what? Sacrifice to cover the sins of the people. That's where they started. Why? They knew they weren't just building a building. They were building a place for the community to gather to worship the sacrificial lamb. We don't sacrifice the little lambs anymore. Why? Because what did John the Baptist say about his cousin Jesus? Here comes, behold, here comes the great the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Y'all, we are building a little building off of Mary Magna Boulevard. It's going to be a place where people can gather. Adults, teens, and children can hear about Jesus being proclaimed. It's a place where we come together to learn about Jesus, who he is and what he's done. That's the main thing. What we found in other churches, in denominations, in relationships, in marriages, in friendships that are built on the foundations of who Jesus is and what he's done you ever notice that when the main thing stops being the main thing, people get distracted and go a different way? You ever notice when a pastor or politician or whatever, fill in the blank, starts trying to make the name for themselves rather than making a name for Jesus, it tends to go south? We've got to guard against that to make sure that the main thing really is the main thing. What's the main thing? Jesus Christ is Lord. The message hasn't changed. Isn't that wild? We're still sharing the same message that the disciples shared 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ is Lord. The good news of God is that he sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. May that always be our main thing. I think Nehemiah started with a sheep gate because he knew eventually that wall was going to get built. People were going to move in and they're going to get back to daily life. I think Nehemiah knew that the The wall itself wasn't the ultimate goal. It was the people entering into relationship with their creator again, acknowledging that they were in need of a sacrifice that they couldn't provide on their own. What's the main thing for us? We're building a building. It's going to be exciting. Y'all, that's not the main thing. If that becomes the main thing, we're going to run out of things to do in about, I don't know, between six and 36 months. We'll keep it safe, right? Like a lot of Do we want to? Absolutely. We're going to try to pay the debt off in that building. Why? We're going to be good stewards of God's word and his money. Like, we're going to honor this. If, if the debt retirement ever becomes the main thing, I think we might get off. Why? Because we've got to make sure that Jesus is still. We're going to be good stewards. But I never want us to get to a place where, like, and we have arrived. You know, we haven't arrived until Christ comes back. And until that moment, we are to do everything we can to praise his name. Fourth, there's a task for everyone. Nehemiah gets kind of personal here, y'all. He's kind of a hardcore guy. He says in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5, he's listing people. Again, this is in a big list. And next to the Tekoites, next to them, the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. I want to call out three people that haven't been serving the Lord. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I told every service that, and it's cheesy every time. People are like, whoa, wait, wait, what is, what time, what is the time to wrap it up? 
Well, that's not our style, all right? I'm not like Nehemiah in a lot of ways. I'm not going to start calling people out for not serving the Lord. But Nehemiah does choose to write down some names of folks who weren't serving the Lord. He says, the nobles of the Tekoites, they ain't serving the Lord. Other translations say they were not willing to put their shoulders to the work. What does that mean? They had people in the camp that weren't willing to get their hands dirty. And Nehemiah knew there was plenty of work to be done. We have people in our congregation that's kind of a little bit bigger that say, I just want to serve. I want to help. I don't know where I can. Y'all, there's so many places to serve. Could we lead with like a legalistic kind of like you got to serve, you got to get a star and you got to make sure you're doing certain things? We could. To me, that's way less effective. We could, way more effective to be able to say, man, just be like people like Shirley Burnett. You know how many people, no kidding, told me today they have pool tables at their houses. <laughs> it's the funnest thing. One of them even said, even said He's like, I heard you like to play pool. I was like, how, well, did you hear that? He's like, yeah, you said it in the sermon. I was like, right, I was 12. You know, I was like, okay, no joke. He was like, man, you can come over to my house and play pool anytime. You don't have to tell anybody else you're there. I was like, this is getting kind of creepy. I mean, you got surge in the fridge? I was like, what do we do? I didn't say that. But there is a task for everyone. There's a task for everyone. Y'all, we're called to run our own race. We live in a world that wants to do the comparison game with everybody. Hear this. That is not from God. God holds you accountable when he calls you into his midst. He says, let everybody else worry about that. Like, we're going to run our race with our eyes fixed on the prize. Like, put the blinders on sometimes and say, I'm trying to become more like Jesus. However, I do not think it's wrong as you're running your race that the Lord has set before you to ask yourself, Lord, how am I serving you? Am I serving you well? Are there other things in my life in this race that only I can accomplish? Be willing to hear what the Lord may be laying on your heart to do on, for his name's sake. If someone were to write a summary of what God is doing in Madison, Georgia, or one of the fancy suburbs like Boswick or Godfrey or Buckhead or Rutledge, which is small but special, of who is serving the Lord and how they are serving, would you be listed favorably or unfavorably? Again, I'm not trying to bring guilt in anybody's lives. That's not the point. But something effective can happen, I think. I mean, these guys, these nobles, how are they mentioned? Oh, they weren't stooping to serve the Lord. I don't want to be remembered as that. There is a task for everyone. Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, here I am, use me. And lastly, y'all, we've got to remember that what we are doing really does matter. I love how Nehemiah works in little phrases. He says, next to him over and over again. Another phrase he uses opposite to his house. Nehemiah's got to build this big old wall around the city. And he starts by assigning people sections of the wall to build. Pretty impressive concept. They got to build a wall. And he says to each little homeowner, I want you to pay attention to the wall that's right outside of your front door. Why would he do that? If the bad guys come and attack, and you know the only thing separating you from the bad guys is a really big wall, what part of the wall, if we can be honest, are we going to be most concerned with? The one that's closest to our house, right? That border's a mess. Which border's the most mess? The one closest to my house, right? Because you want to pay attention to what's going to affect you the most. So Nehemiah says to these folks, all right, pay attention to where you're living. Look outside your doors and see what's happening right there. And let's take on that task at hand. He says this in verse 10, Nehemiah 3.10, next to them, Jediah, the son of Haramath, repaired opposite his house. In Nehemiah 3.23, after them, Benjamin and Hashab repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Ananiah, repaired beside his own house. In Nehemiah 3, 28 and 29, above the horse gate, the priest repaired 
each one opposite his own house. What is Nehemiah doing? He's giving tasks that make sense to the people and saying, open your door and look at what's happening right in front of you. We have a world that has a great need. We have servants in this room that could have dozens of excuses as to why they should not be doing the things that God is allowing them to do on a weekly basis, ranging from age to amount of money to amount of education to whatever else it may be. And yet we see them over and over again, not in the limelight, not asking everybody to acknowledge what they're doing, but serving boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they know what God has called them to do. They see the task at hand. We've got missionaries in Uganda right now doing some wild stuff. Uh, Julie Weiss is partnering our church. going to be partnering with this group. Shane and Lisa Daniels in Nicaragua. They love baseball. If you love Nicaragua, you love baseball, you love Jesus, there's going to be a great opportunity to serve in one of those capacities, right? They're going to be going down, doing some neat stuff. We've got groups in Honduras. We have missionaries all over the world because Jesus said, go all over the world to the ends of the earth and tell people about who I am and what I've done. But where does he start? He says, start right there in Jerusalem. Start right there in Madison. Start right outside of your doors. Acknowledge what is going on around you. Be willing to serve who is there. Why did Nehemiah assign tasks to the homes of these folks? He knew that what took place closest to home would take place closest to their hearts. This year, we have two more in just a little bit. So far, we've had 40 people accept Jesus Christ as Lord. 40. We've got 10 Right now, just in the last two weeks, that are scheduled to be baptized because they have accepted Christ and confessed Jesus as Lord. Y'all, that's 50 people in Morgan County, Georgia. This is crazy stuff. And we give God all the glory. Why? He's doing all the work. He's just using us. But what does that mean for us? Can I be honest with the saying? Because it's the 1130 crowd. We can be the most honest, right? It's a safe space. Like 50 people. Have the chance to get baptized this year. Two more, just a little bit. It's going to be so good. The water feels so warm. It's brutal. On Easter of this year, I had the chance to baptize my daughter at our Easter service on the football field. Right? Isn't that crazy? How like when it's somebody that, that you know personally or that personal connection, like, it kind of brings things together. Yo, this is life-changing stuff. We're not just talking about families far, far away. We're talking about families right here. What we are doing really matters. It affects our families, your family, my family. What God is calling me and you to do, you know, I believe is to address the needs right outside of our front doors. When we are doing our part in serving the Lord and building his kingdom, we are building something that will last well past our short time on this earth. In 52 days, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. 2,500 years ago. In November of 2007, a section of this 2,500-year-old wall was excavated by Hebrew archaeologist Dr. Eilat Mazar just outside of the Dung Gate. Can we take a sidebar for just for a second? <laughs> Wouldn't you much rather live next to the Sheep Gate or the Eastern Gate, the Dung Gate? <laughs> like, that was a rough side of the track. Like they were mentioned. Right next to the Dung Gate... They found a portion of this wall that had some of the same instructions that we've read about in the last couple weeks on them. What does that mean? One, if you're a skeptic and you think this is a bunch of made-up stories from a long time ago, y'all, this stuff's been written down a long time ago. We also remember in very recent days that what God said is going to happen is going to happen. You can't change that. Two, 
I don't think Nehemiah, he, maybe he did, had any idea that what he was doing in his day-to-day life was going to have an effect on people 2,500 years later. But it wasn't about him. It was about what the Lord was doing. I truly believe with all of my heart that one day I will see Jesus Christ face to face. He always coming back. When? We don't know. Sooner than yesterday, closer than it was yesterday. Right? You've seen the new, the world's just, it's going wide open here. When he comes back, I truly believe it will be a moment of joyous celebration for every believer around the world. As our creator, our savior, our redeemer says to us, come to me. Come to my table. There's not going to be more divorce. There's not going to be more sickness. There's not going to be more hardship. No more evil. No more terrorism. No more struggling kids around the world. It's going to be mine. So with that, man, I want us to know that we know that we know that when that happens, you're all going to be ready to say, here I am, Lord, let's go. One day when I meet Jesus, I don't know how long he's going to let me stay there in that moment. I think it's going to be a little while. But I also believe that after, I don't know, a day, year, 100 years, some point in time, when I recover, I truly believe that he will turn me around and introduce me again to people like Miss Shirley Brunette who opened their homes with a pool table in the 1990s. Because what we do here, if we really believe the words in this book, what we do in the time that God gives us now will be discussed for the rest of eternity. Isn't that crazy? A thousand years from now, 10,000 years from now, we may still be talking about our Sunday school teachers with our Sunday school teachers. That's good stuff. Are we willing to say, yes, Lord, I see the challenge. Here I am, Lord, send me. Let's pray. Lord God, I'm thankful for this chance um, to come before you today with our church family. Lord, for what you're doing in this place. Um, Lord, thank you for these words from Nehemiah. I know it's, it's just a neat chapter here. God, I just pray that, that all of us, Lord, would hear from you today. If, if you're laying something on one of our hearts, someone we need to talk to, Lord, something you were calling us to start or to build a place to serve. May we be open, Lord. May we pay attention to what you've placed, Lord, right outside of our front doors. Lord, I do believe. Lord, I believe that Jesus is coming back and I'm excited to meet him face to face, to see the one who I've talked to for so long. God, I want everyone that I know, I want everyone that we all know to know how to be prepared for that. So Lord, today, God, I pray that if there is anyone hearing these words right now that has never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord of their life, or they've never repented of their sins, they've never asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and trusted in Him, well, let today be the day that they share that first with you wherever they are. And then, God, give them the strength to share that with someone else. We thank you, as Jeff said in communion thought earlier, Lord, for the accomplished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. That there is nothing in all of creation that will ever be able to separate us from your love, which is ours through Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' holy name.